this morning, do come and grab a seat. If you've um, left your seat, I'm going to dive straight in. Um, there's a bunch of stuff I'd like to share with us this morning. I'm going to start by showing you a photo. Hopefully. There we go. That's from um, my wedding day. It's very sweet, isn't it? So it's me and Bethan. And the lady on the left is Bethan's grandma, um, Welsh granny, as we used to call her. Um, she passed away a little while after our wedding, and uh, she very generous, generously left us a little bit of money. And what we did with that was we bought life membership of the National Trust, just as something to remember her by. Now, we've now been members of the National Trust for 20 plus years. Um, it, you may or may not know this, the, the National Trust has changed hugely over that period of time. So 20 years ago, it was very much, don't touch anything. Do not walk on the grass, definitely no picnics. Now, it is keep on the grass, bring your football, bring your, um, bring your frisbee. Um, there are things to do, there are activities for kids, touch things, try things out. Why is that? It's because we as a society now, now want experiences. Economists will tell us that people are spending less on stuff and more on experiences, things like travel, uh, going out to eat at a restaurant, things like that. There has been a shift towards what economists call an experience economy. Bookshops don't exist as they are right now. They have coffee shops in them as well. If you go to the Apple store, Apple audition staff, they don't interview them because their shops are about an experience. 20 years ago, there was a study by a psychology professor called Dr. Tom Gilovich. He was at Cornell University. His summary was this. If you want to be happy, don't spend your money on things. Go for an experience. Things have shifted. Now, this focus on the importance of experience is nothing new. It's something that we will find, even if you're a casual reader of the Bible, you will find throughout the pages of the Bible. We read hundreds of stories of people who had a dramatic, life-changing experience with God, most often through a person known as the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to talk about today is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that as we kick off a new series which we've entitled Naturally Supernatural. And as part of this series, you might want to get hold of this book. Um, it's written by Mike Pilavacci, who leads Soul Survivor. Um, it is called Everyday Supernatural. Um, there's a bunch of copies on the book desk. I got them at 25% cheaper than you can get them on Amazon. Don't say we're not generous. What I want to do today is introduce um, this series. I'm going to do that by looking at a few Bible texts. We're going to move around this morning. And then in the next three weeks across November, we're going to dig in to thinking about how the Holy Spirit gives gifts, releases gifts to people like you and I to make a difference in the world in which we live. For us at Riverside Vineyard Church, our vision statement is this. We want to worship God, love others, and be Jesus in the world. And embedded in that is this understanding that we find life as we experience God's presence. And that we want everyone in our communities 
to experience and to know that God loves them. Not just to know something about God, not just to believe some stuff, but actually to experience and know the love of God. Where I want to start this morning is in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or some kind of device, would you turn to there? I'm going to read the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, that's the disciples, were all together in one place. So just to set this in the bigger story, Jesus had died, been resurrected, had ascended to heaven. The disciples waited in Jerusalem. And we come to this account. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Incredible account. And at the heart of this account, we see the ways that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, experienced the presence of God. And there are two primary aspects to that. The first is power. The power of a rushing wind. Uh, for us as a family, we had the immense privilege of spending a week this last summer on the island of Dominica. It is a stunning island. It's one of the most stunning places I've been to in my life. A couple of months later, Hurricane Maria hit. We had lunch at a restaurant just at the end of that high street. It is desperately sad. The power of wind. And the second aspect that the disciples experience is fire. Fire. Their heads, in some way, have these flames of fire. And fire is used to purify. It is used to burn away impurities. It is fire that refines gold. And very often in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is associated with an experience of God's power and of being purified. An experience of the Spirit may also be an experience of passionate love. If you turn on in your Bible to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, uh, we find this. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So encountering the Holy Spirit, experiencing the Spirit results in a life-changing experience of God's love in our hearts. You see, there's more to Christianity than something to believe. There is someone to receive. Do you like that? It's more than something to believe. There is someone to receive. There is someone to experience. You see, the church down through its history has had its creeds, statements of belief. They're incredibly helpful. But none of us are a Christian by simply reciting or acknowledging certain statements. We're a Christian by receiving the Holy Spirit. Becoming a, becoming a Christian involves an encounter with God through His Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know how you see things, maybe how you were brought up. You may be told not to worry about experiences or feelings, just obey God. And that's partially right. Um, for example, you know, if you're in a conversation with someone and you're wondering, well, 
Um, I, I might just lie to them at this point. Um, but I'll just wait for a feeling from God to see what to do. No. Don't lie to them. You don't have to wait for a feeling to obey a whole bunch of stuff. But if we never feel God's presence in our lives, if we never experience his love or his peace, then I don't think we're living out what the New Testament describes as Christianity, as a following of Jesus. See, imagine a husband saying to his wife, imagine myself saying to Bethan, I, I know that it's right that we, that we hug and that we kiss, but I want you to know, as I look into your eyes, that I feel absolutely dead inside. I am completely and indifferently in love with you. Um, in fact, my heart is icy cold like a glacier, um, but, but we've, we've entered into a deal. I, I've said yes to relationship with you. I've got my marriage certificate, and so I'm going to give you a hug. If you overheard that kind of conversation, you'd probably come up to me and say, Andy, that's a bit weird. There's something not working very well in your relationship right now. And you'd be right. You'd be right. You see, for centuries, many in churches have been taught that we should not expect to feel God's presence or his love or his power. And so instead of experiencing the Spirit, the church, I believe, the church at large, has been guilty of taming the Spirit. Taming the Spirit. That's what humanity does, because as human beings, we love to be in control. And so we tame things. And so you can think of wild animals. Here's a picture of a wolf. Wolves run free. What has humanity done over centuries? We've tamed wolves. And so you end up with this. This is my pet dog when I was growing up. That's what we do. We tame things. We've got wild cats, big lions. What do we do? We tame them. <laughs> you can think of the wind. The wind is powerful. What do we do? We try to tame it. We try to domesticate things. You might have heard this one. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't do what you don't want him to do. My response is, really? I personally believe that is a Christian myth. Because nowhere in the Bible do I find the Holy Spirit described as a gentleman. Loving? Yes. Extraordinarily kind? Yes. But remember the verses we read in Acts chapter 2? He comes as a violent wind. He comes as fire. Acts chapter 4, the physical building where the disciples were meeting was shaken. An experience of God's presence. You see, the Bible promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit, someone who cannot be tamed and domesticated. And yet at the same time, the Bible says that we are to experience him, to receive him, and to be filled with that same life. In fact, the Bible says that we are to go on being filled with the Spirit. Why would that be important? You see, most evangelical Bible-believing Christians agree that we receive the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion, when we say yes to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes this, 
No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But some would then say at that point, that at that point of conversion, you get all that you need. It's like God puts a billion pounds into your bank account at that moment, and you can just spend on that for the rest of your life. You get it all at that point. You might have heard of a great preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Welshman. He preached for nearly 50 years at Westminster Chapel. And one of the things that he did was he lamented the state of Christian people who say that they got everything from God when they got converted. And this is something that he said. He said, got it all? I simply ask in the name of God, why then are you as you are? If you have got it all, why are you unlike the New Testament Christians? Got it all? Got it all at your conversion? Well, where is it? I ask. Where is it? Other uh, streams of Christianity often talk about a second blessing, a second filling after conversion, what some would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may be familiar with another Christian guy, a guy called Bishop David Pitches. He was the founder of the New Wine Network. Um, he was once asked if he believed in that second blessing. And he said, oh yes, I believe in a second blessing. It comes between the first and the third blessing of God. And I think he would go on to say, and the fourth and the fifth and the hundredth and the, and the thousandth. See, it seems to me that the Bible is far less concerned with when you receive the power of the Spirit and far more concerned that you receive the power of the Spirit. And for those who say, well, I was filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1987, could I lovingly and graciously say to you that I think you've leaked? Over those 30 years, we leak. We need to be filled and refilled again and again and again. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to look at these two aspects that we saw in Acts chapter 2. These aspects of wind and fire, of power and purifying. Look at those two aspects. I want to talk about those briefly this morning um, using two of the prominent New Testament authors. I'm going to look at Paul and at Luke. When you read the writing of Paul, he predominantly writes about um, the purifying work of the Spirit, when he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Luke, on the other hand, tends to focus on the power of the Spirit when he talks about being filled with the Spirit. So let's start with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to turn on to Ephesians. If you've been following through in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5. This is what Paul writes from verse 18. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In most of our modern Bibles, that's broken up into a number of sentences, in the original text, this is one long sentence. This is designed to be read 
together. And there is one imperative in these verses, one command, one instruction, followed by five participles. Let me just explain that. It's one imperative, one instruction. Be filled with the Spirit. It's what Paul writes. Be filled with the Spirit. The grammatical sense is go on continuously being filled with the Spirit. Again and again, be filled with the Spirit. And then there are five participles. And some of you are thinking, I remember that word from English grammar classes. Now, what on earth did it mean? Participles are those part of our language which tend to end in ing, kind of doing, outworkings. And so what Paul does in these verses, he describes five results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were these. He says that we would find ourselves speaking to one another, singing, making music, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. So in these verses, Paul isn't giving us six things to do. He's saying one thing, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, these other five things will be evidence of that one thing. That's the sense from Paul's writing. See, it's interesting where Paul starts, he contrasts being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. You know, when someone is drunk with wine uh, or drunk in any way, one of the phrases that we'll sometimes use is they are under the influence. You know, someone gets arrested and they've had a drink. You know, that's the phrase. They, 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 they're under the influence. And, you know, I think generally, if you meet someone that is under the influence, we can tell, yeah? That there are certain behaviors that, that give away. And, and I hope you know, you can eat as many mints as you want. We still know. Because there is, there is evidence of being under the influence. And that is, in a sense, what Paul is saying, that we can tell if someone is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There will be things in their lives which point to that reality. There's evidence. And I want to just summarize three ways in which we would know that someone is being filled with the Spirit from these verses. The first is this. A Spirit-filled Christian is a worshiping Christian. A spirit-filled Christian is a worshipping Christian. You see the way that the people that Paul is describing, they're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, they're singing, they're making music. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe they are going to love to worship. Why? Because the Holy Spirit loves to honor and give praise to the Father and to Jesus. And so someone filled with the Spirit will do the exact same thing. So if you find worship boring, and I'm not talking about the style, I'm talking about the activity of, if you find worship boring, and so you get to church just in time for the talk, because that's clearly the main thing, if you don't like to make music in your heart to God, if you find that you never have energy or heart to praise God, then I believe that it's likely that you're not being filled with the Spirit. Second thing, a Spirit-filled Christian is a grateful Christian. As a grateful Christian. You see the way that they were giving thanks. So if at times in our lives we find ourselves just complaining about things, complaining about the hand that life has dealt us, complaining about the people around us, 
if we find that we're not grateful for even small blessings in our lives, then the chances are we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing, a Spirit-filled Christian is a relationship-building Christian. Verse 21, submitting to one another. Spirit-filled Christians serve other people in a serve-me world. They serve other people. They look out for other people. They look to build other people up. They look to build up their spouse, their friends, their work colleagues. They promote other people. So that's the first aspect of being filled with the Spirit. He comes in the sense of fire, purifying us, transforming our lives. The second aspect is wind, breath, the power of God's Spirit. Luke, in his gospel, highlights this activity of, of this experience of the Spirit by reminding us that every aspect of Jesus Christ's life was lived in dependence upon and through being filled by the Holy Spirit. And before I rush on, we know, don't we, that, that Christ wasn't Jesus' surname. We, he, he didn't get letters through the post saying, Dear Mr. Christ, here's a new credit card. Dear Mr. Christ, have you had PPI? How's Mrs. Christ? We, we, we know Christ is not a surname. Christ is a title. Christ was the title given to the person who was anointed by the Holy Spirit, the ultimate bearer of the Spirit, someone who would usher in a new age of the Spirit. And that activity of the Christ, of the anointed one, is beautifully summarized in Luke chapter 4. So that's where we're going to go next. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus is in the synagogue. Um, he opens up the scripture uh, to the book of Isaiah, and he reads these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wonderful verses. I'm just going to very quickly comment on them. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit with the power of the Spirit in order to do four things. The first was to preach to proclaim a message, the good news of God's kingdom. The second thing was to deliver people from captivity. See that a couple of times in these verses in Luke chapter 4. Sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. Good news today. If you find yourself beaten down by addictions, by fears, by oppression in any way, the Holy Spirit has the power to set you and I free right now. Right now. Power to set the oppressed free. Third thing, power to heal, to give sight to the blind. In every way, releasing healing. And the fourth thing, he gives power to work justice into our world. The reference in the text is to the year of the Lord's favor. That refers to the year of Jubilee, 
What happened in Jewish culture was that every 50 years, all of the debts would be torn up. And all of the land that had been transferred would go back to its original ownership, setting things right, working justice into our world. And so then as we see Jesus' ministry, we see him preaching, proclaiming a message. We see him delivering people. We see him healing, and we see him working acts of justice with incredible power. How did he do all of that? He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's how he did it. So where does all of this leave you and me? If you're someone here this morning that has said yes to Jesus Christ, you have, in in the language of the Bible, you have been born again. You have entered God's kingdom, and you have received the Holy Spirit. But there are two questions, quite big questions, challenging questions that I want to just throw out at this point. If you consider yourself to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, do you believe that you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you need? Do you believe you have as much as you need? And second related question, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, do you believe you have as much of the Holy Spirit as God wants you to have? I can already see some heads going, no, I don't. My honest answer is no on both counts. I don't have as much as I need. I don't believe that I have everything that God wants me to have. So very simply, I need more. I need more. If you, like me, are someone who wants more, I want to suggest two really smart things to do. The first is this. Put yourself in environments where there are other people seeking more of the Holy Spirit. Gatherings like today, home groups, prayer gatherings, other spaces where there are other people seeking more of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is to simply ask God. Ask God. James chapter 4 and verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. That's pretty plain. That's pretty plain. There is stuff in our lives that we do not have because we have not asked God. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 11. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I believe that we can simply take Jesus at his word. We can ask. So in closing, let me say this. Will you be someone who asks God each day to be filled with the Holy Spirit until you're overflowing? Will you be someone who lives life that way? Will you ask God to drench you, to overwhelm you, to purify you, to empower you, so that you would have the deepest experience possible of his presence and his love and his life. Do you want to be someone that lives your life that way? I'm going to have an opportunity to, to pray this morning.
and to simply ask God to fill us again. But before that, I want us to use this time to just make an invitation for any here that have not said yes to Jesus before to do so. Because this life in the Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, happens as we enter God's kingdom. And we enter God's kingdom when we say yes to Jesus. And so I'm just going to invite us to bow our heads now, and I'm going to pray a short prayer that says yes to Jesus. And if you've never said yes to him before, you're welcome. In fact, I would I'd love you to make this prayer your own this morning. Jesus, thank you that you have an amazing life for me. A life full of divine power. A life that is being transformed by your spirit. But Jesus, I'm sorry that I've chosen to go my own way. I'm sorry for my sin. But Jesus, thank you that you have made a way for me to be forgiven. So Jesus, I say yes to you this morning. I open my heart to you. Jesus, I'm turning around. I'm opening the door of my heart and welcoming you in today. Would you come into my life by your Holy Spirit and transform me and empower me to be every part of the person that you intend me to be? In Jesus' name. Amen. Just as we've got our eyes closed this morning, could I just ask that if you've prayed that today for the first time, or because you're wanting to reconnect in relationship with Jesus today, could you simply look up at me and catch my eye, because I would love to know um, and be able to connect with you, and for you to know that you've taken a real step today. So as I look around, could you just catch my eye if you've made that prayer your own today? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Those that have just then, uh, would you come and just continue conversation? I'd love to connect with you.